Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about people and organizations making an impact around Dallas for Worth. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan, and joining us this morning is philanthropist and developer Peter Brodsky. How you doing, Peter? I'm doing great this morning. How are you doing? I am doing just fine, and let's talk about the big project you've been working on for years and have had so many people excited for so, so long, and we're talking about the vibrant mixed-use development on the corner of, I guess it's uh, I-20 and 67 in southern Dallas, formerly called Redbird Mall. Can you tell us about how you decided to get involved with this project and where we're going with it right now? Uh, well, I'd be happy to. The first thing I got to tell you, though, it's not just formally called Redford. We brought the name Redford back uh, because that's what the community has always called it. That's how people think of it, and that's what it is. And we we uh, we call it that with pride. Nice. So it is um, Redford. Oh, it is Redford. It, you know what? It's it, it. They may have tried to rename it in 1998 to Southwest Center Mall, but I've yet to meet a single person that calls it anything other than Redbird. Oh, I'm with you. That's that's legendary local. That's that's called um, uh, branding that cannot go away, traditional branding. Exactly, exactly. So uh, I've already forgotten your question. Was it how did I get involved with this? Yes, because I, I know it was years ago that you thought this area was ripe for development. As, as for a lot of people who do not know this, there are several major mega churches all up and down I-20, not too far from Redbird. And you got so many great communities right there, Duncanville, Oak Cliff, uh, just go on and on and on. And there's so many families there. And it's like, wait a minute, this area could be just as good as, you know, North Park Center or somewhere in Frisco or anywhere else. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. Um you know, look, I, I'm not from Dallas originally. I moved here in 1995, and for about the first 15 years I was here, uh, I, I really had uh, the experience that, that most uh, white North Dallas people have in Dallas, which is I only hung out in North Dallas, and, and all I ever heard about Southern Dallas was, you know, oh, you don't want to go there. Uh-huh. Uh, and so um, and so I didn't know any better, but but... Uh, around 15 years ago, I started to get more involved in the community in our city and began to spend more time in southern Dallas and, and pretty quickly observed that most of the things that I'd heard about the area were just exaggerated, untrue, mm-hmm. um, and that, in fact, in certain parts of southern Dallas, just like in certain parts of north Dallas, there are you know, very, very vibrant middle-class communities but when you drive around the areas, there's just there's there were no commercial amenities. And, you know, you you'd, you'd go into these housing developments and see beautiful houses and nice cars and families and who, who want nice things. And then you'd go out into the commercial, uh, the commercial parts of, of the same neighborhoods and you'd see payday lending and check cashing and maybe, a, you know, an auto body shop and uh, a couple dollar stores and there was just that wasn't what the people who lived there wanted and so my thought was hey here's an opportunity to make an investment and you know and 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 it's a money-making opportunity to fulfill the 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 demand uh that's there but isn't being adequately serviced but also to do something positive for the community and that is to give people the amenities that they that they want, that they can afford, and that they deserve. Um, and the perfect place to do it was Redbird. Uh, it's in a it's in a terrific part of the city. It's mm-hmm. a solidly middle class area, and 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 then the mall itself is very well located, and it has a real resonance with the community because in the past it had been a, a high point of quality in the community, and I think that that stuck with people, and it's one of the reasons why that name 
is so powerful uh, to, to folks who live around who live in the area. Exactly, and I think your project is called Reimagine Redbird because you're going to make it more than just the mall. It's going to be a mixed-use development, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think completely separate and apart from from issues having to do with mischaracterization of Southern Dallas, there's a whole other dynamic going on, which is that the nature of retail everywhere has changed. Uh, I don't know about you, but I did most of my Christmas shopping last year, the year before, and the year before that, that lying in bed on my laptop. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And and, in Western North Park Mall, uh, malls are generally dying around the country. And so we weren't going to be able to revitalize Redbird by sticking to a business model from 1974. Uh, and and what people want today is, is a live, work, play model. Uh, they want to be able to go to a community, be it, uh, be it uh, shops at Legacy, be it the shops at Park Lane, uh, be it the West Village, where you can live. Some people live there. Some people work there. Some people eat there. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people go to the movies there. Some people do all of the above there. Uh, but it's sort of a, a mini urban center. So and let me so let me get this right, Peter. At Redbird. Let me get this right, Peter. In my mind, because I'm imagining mm-hmm. this, you're looking to create an atmosphere that's somewhat like Uptown or uh, the Bishop Arts District or one of those areas where people can stroll and they can also live. Yeah, uh, we 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 are looking to provide, to, you know, j- j- look the 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 reason why Uptown is so popular and the reason why the shops at Legacy are yeah. so popular is because they are providing the amenities that people want, uh, and they are also uh, creating an environment that really can't be replicated online. So if all you have to offer is shopping, that's going to get it's lunch lunch eaten by Amazon. But if people are coming to the site anyway because they are living there or they are going to the doctor there or they are working there or they're going to do something that you can't do online like, uh, you know, like go bowling or something like that, then you're going to create an environment where there's lots of people. Uh, it's going to create activity. Uh, and then those retail amenities and restaurants will be activated. And so we're trying to do you know, we're, this is not an original idea. We are trying to essentially knock off uh, what other people are doing. The only thing that's that is, uh, you know, unique about this, and it's frankly a sad commentary that it is unique, uh, is that it's happening in Southern Dallas in a predominantly African American community. Mm-hmm. And you know what? This is this is like I said. This is almost like people don't really know what's really over there. And I mentioned the mega churches. Let me take it a little bit further. You've got all these different colleges in that southern Dallas area, Paul Quinn College, University of North Texas, Dallas, Dallas Baptist University, Mountain View College, and Cedar Valley College are all right there in the radius uh, of the Redbird. And and can you talk about how that has helped you actually get more, I guess, people involved and and maybe uh, corporations and businesses? Oh, absolutely. It sounds like you're reading a slide out of my pitch deck. I've got a whole slide about the community amenities. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the reason why, why Redbird is the perfect area, because in addition to having a lot of people there who've got money to spend and want to spend it in their community, you've got all these, all these community uh, resources and facilities that draw people from all over the Metroplex into the area. You've got Five major megachurches uh, that have have together about fifty thousand members. You've got uh, a couple hundred smaller churches, so you've got tens and tens of thousands of people coming to church there. Sundays, Wednesdays, their uh, their kids have church activities. They've got choir practice, and then you've got you know basically uh, other than SMU, all of the uh, major universities. UNT Dallas, DBU, mm-hmm. Paul Quinn College, uh, you know the, the two the two Dallas college campuses that you mentioned. So you've got uh, more tens of thousands of people coming to study there, and yet with all of that activity and all of those people coming, there was no nowhere for them to be. There was no there were, until we opened the Starbucks there a couple of years ago. There wasn't a single Starbucks south of I-30 
in wow. the city of Dallas. It's crazy. And so we opened a Starbucks. A lot of people up north said, what? You're going to open a Starbucks in southern Dallas? Nobody there can afford a cup of coffee. I'm like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make it. You're, you're, mm-hmm. I mean, what are you? That, that, that's crazy. And, of course, now it's one of the, one of the most profitable, highest revenue Starbucks uh, that they've got in the city. How about because, number three overall? Yeah, it's, it, it's an incredibly profitable one. The line is around the, blo- around the block all the time. Uh, now that, thankfully, people can go in and sit down again, uh, it's hard to get a seat there. And it's because, guess what? Everybody wants the same things. And you walk into that Starbucks and you see just what you see everywhere else in the city. People on their laptops, people buying their kids something to eat before or after school, people stopping in there before or after church for a cup of coffee, meeting with friends. People, people want those sorts of places to go, and there just aren't enough of them in the area. And Redbird seeks to be a place where there's multiple different opportunities for people to in the community to go spend time and money in their community and be provided a high quality, uh, dignified uh, environment where uh, where their commercial needs are satisfied. You know, we're talking with Peter Broski, the developer Peter Broski, the reimagined Redbird, and I just look at the economic opportunities all up and down I twenty right there, and where Redbird is centrally located. Again, it's closer to downtown Dallas than the Galleria. And you've got That's all true. the different people. I, I guess the radius down there in southern Dallas is uh, 208 square miles. That's 54% of the city of Dallas's landmass. And all of the people there have money to spend. It's like, and there's more and more people moving to the Dallas-Fort Worth area all the time. And the growth is not just headed towards the north. It's headed west. It's headed east. And it's also headed south. Can you talk about the vision that you saw and it, could you imagine the growth that's actually taking place in, in Dallas-Fort Worth and how this is a tremendous opportunity? Oh, it's a huge opportunity. I mean, look, every, everybody knows that people are leaving California and coming to Texas. Texas is open for business and the DFW region, uh, it, you know, in the past couple of years has been a huge beneficiary of that. Um, the, the problem is that that uh, that Dallas, the city of Dallas hasn't benefited as much as it could have because North Dallas is full. And so now people are going to Frisco and prosper. The big economic opportunity for this city is to uh, help people and businesses understand that southern Dallas is a fantastic place to move to and to uh, and to locate your business. And red, you know, if you look at the percentage, for instance, of office buildings in the city of Dallas, something like greater than 90% of the office space in the city of Dallas is north of I-30. Well, south of I-30, we need a lot more office space, and that's why we're creating so much at Redbird, so that we can, as a community, as a city, and as this part of the city, benefit from the huge, huge influx of people and businesses and dollars uh, that are coming into our city. Yes, yeah, it's, um, it's amazing the opportunity. It is. I, I do want to emphasize one thing, though, that there's a lot of concern in the community about gentrification. And we've talked a lot about on this call about, you know, attracting people to the area and mm-hmm. how close it is to downtown, et cetera. But I do want to emphasize that unlike a lot of the other developments in southern Dallas, we are not depending on new people coming into the community mm-hmm. in order to patronize the businesses that, that are opening at Redbird. Mm-hmm. There is so much pent up demand among the people who already live in Southern Dallas for these sorts of amenities. This thing will do just fine. If nobody moves, if nobody moves into the area, we're, we're trying to serve the people who already live in the area and give them what they already want but they have to drive long distances to get. That's really what it's all about for us at Redbird is let's serve the people who live here and want these things, and but let's make it much, much easier for them to get it, whether it's a good cup of coffee or whether it's the opportunity to have your chemotherapy 
at a high quality medical facility near your home. Uh, and that's what's going to happen at UT Southwestern. Exactly. Exactly. This is this is so amazing, the project that you've been working on. And I was there. I was fortunate enough to be at the grand opening of that Starbucks. And it was a who's who of civic and city leaders and different people in the community. And I was able to meet the different people who were organizing that Starbucks. And they were totally impressed with what was going on and the future that was about to unfold. And Peter, I'm going to tell you something kind of crazy. I've been in Dallas since 1980. When I graduated from University of Oklahoma, the first thing I did was I started working down here at K104, and then I started working here at 1053 Defend and, and doing the TV at Channel 8 and Fox Sports Southwest. But I remember going to Redbird Mall all the time to shop. And I, there's something that a lot of people may not even know, that back in the day when Chick-fil-A first started, it was inside Redbird Mall. One of their original locations was inside Redbird Mall before they started branching out and having standalone of uh, Chick-fil-A's everywhere. So I just rem- I, as soon as I saw the, the Starbucks, I was like, yes, here comes some great stuff, some some national brands that recognize the opportunity here. So, Peter, again, I can't thank you enough for all the work that you're doing. And I know it's been kind of tough because I'm sure when anybody comes up with an idea and I'm sure you and the different people that you talk to, they say, OK, We should do this because it makes so much sense. The journey is always full of twists and turns. Can you you talk about some of the maybe the initial things that you've had to that you were surprised that you had to deal with or some of the things you're still dealing with now that a lot of people don't even know what's going on that seems so logical. But then there's, you know, some red tape involved. Yeah. So I I would say that there's two big things. obstacles that that we that we've been battling to overcome one of them is very real estate centric and that is just that the property itself has had, was so divided up into small pieces mm-hmm. that it was actually one of the reasons why it hasn't been redeveloped is that it's very very difficult to get your hands on everything what what we bought back 6 years ago in September of of 20 uh 2015 was just the inline portions of the mall and certain little splotches of the parking fields. But the Ma- the old Macy's was separately owned. The Sears was separately owned. The old Dillard's was separately owned. The former J.C. Penney land was separately owned. And all the property outside the ring road, each one of those parcels was separately owned. There were 28 different owners. Mm-hmm. So it's taken us a long time, and we still don't own the whole thing. We own about 95 acres of it. Um, and, and but we've had to, we've done I've lost track it's either twelve or thirteen different transactions to try to get everything back under one ownership so that we can control how the site looks. So that that was one big big challenge. The other challenge I would say is oh before you, before you go any further okay. I just thought of something sure. I want to bring this up because it's kind of interesting I'm, maybe you can un- un- solve this for me as well. Way back in the early eighties, uh, we held a big pep rally for the Dallas Cowboys there, and I went into the back offices. We were at, the, me and some of the players hanging out back there before we went outside. And I noticed all the San Francisco 49ers stuff everywhere. And it turned out yeah. that the owners of the 49ers owned that mall, the DeBartolo. The DeBartolo's, yeah. Yeah, so so what happened from that point to where you started trying to work on the uh, development? Because so I know they don't own it anymore, right? No, no, they haven't for, for decades. Oh, okay. So, 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 so the DeBartolos were mall developers all over the country. Right. Um, and, you know, but even back then when they developed it, they didn't own the anchor buildings. Ah. Um, the, the, way, the way they financed it, and Valley View was done exactly the same way. In fact, I think most malls are, is that they, they would build the interior portion of the mall, and then they would get the anchor buildings to build their own buildings and own their own buildings. And they did that really because, uh, you know, it, back in the 70s, Sears was a high-flying stock. It was, it was much less expensive for Sears to build its own building than for a private developer to build it and then charge them rent. Okay. And so, and so a lot of these malls were built where the developer owned the mall and the anchors all owned their own buildings. And then they just all agreed to operate as one, as one unit. And so, and, and, and the problem is that when that happens, 
uh, if the mall fails and you need to redevelop, it's a, it can be extremely difficult to redevelop because the agreement that they all signed said not only are we going to operate as one unit, but we all agree that our business is to be a regional shopping mall. And if you ever want to be anything other than a regional shopping mall, you have to get every single owner to agree to it. Mm -hmm. And so fortunately for us, that agreement had expired. And so we, we didn't have to go ask anyone's permission. But imagine if we wanted to convert Sears into a UT Southwestern medical facility uh, and we had to go ask a bunch of different people their permission to not be a regional mall. So anyway, the DeBartolos owned it for a while. They they uh, they were in the business of building things and then selling them uh, and pocketing the profits. Mm -hmm. And they sold it. And you know, sometimes and, and I don't know how many times it got sold, but it, around the the mid to late nineties, uh, it really began to decline. And it it got really handed from owner to owner to owner, and uh, one of the owners is the one the one that foolishly decided to change the name to Southwest Center Mall and right. decorate it with a, with a cactus motif. I haven't seen a lot of cacti in Dallas. No, this is in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, um, and and those owners uh, essentially decided that they were going to uh, stop investing in the mall, uh, milk it. Uh, milk it for cash, mm -hmm. and uh, and that's really how it started to decline. Is, is that 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 the owners were out of town owners? They didn't really, you know, they, their business model was to just skim as much cash off as they could and not reinvest in the mall. Um, and that's that's how properties decline. And unfortunately, that's a very common story in in underserved communities and in communities of colors. Mm -hmm. the, the real estate just isn't reinvested in. Uh, the customer is not appropriately valued, mm -hmm. and we came in with a very, very different perspective. Can you talk about Terrence Maiden and, and his his partnership in helping you along with this project? Absolutely, yeah, and it it actually links to the other challenge I was going to talk about. Oh, good. Which is, uh, and it's more of a societal challenge. But I was, I'd say, I was shocked but not surprised by the resistance that people had sort of intellectually to the idea of a high quality series of amenities and a high quality environment in an African-American community. I think that retailers have been, and, and other developers have been so conditioned by our society to assume that if it's a community of color, it must be, you know, it must be a, a community living in poverty mm -hmm. that that it took a very, very long time to convince anyone that that was simply statistically, factually untrue. Right. Um, and, and that's why I will forever be loyal to Starbucks, because they were the first people who really understood. Wait a minute. This is a money-making opportunity here. There is a market here that we are not serving because we've been so blinded by our own assumptions about the community. Mm -hmm. And if we would just take the time to actually look at the data through an unbiased lens, we would find that there's a lot of customers here that want Starbucks. And once Starbucks came, the, the, the dominoes began to tilt, and I think they've finally fallen now where and 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 people i i think we are no longer having to make to spend a lot of time trying to convince people right that there's purchasing power in the community exactly but that, that I, uh, I learned a lot about um the just the racial dynamic in our country right uh, it, the stereotyping it, it, yeah the the, oh, the assumption yeah. that uh majority of people of color may be uh, in poor or or lower income, when that's not the case, it's, it's all kinds of demographics that are all kinds of wealth, middle, ca middle class, upper middle class, uh, wealthy. Everybody of different colors comes in all kinds of economic backgrounds. That, that's exactly right. But but that is not how we are trained uh, in this in this uh, society to think. Mm -hmm. And it, it is amazing how sticky those perceptions are. So I will say that, I mean, while I, of course, understand that I'll never really understand 
the the big obstacle uh, the, the the this the big obstacle we've had to overcome is helping people to to, to overcome those it, those initial sure. biases and assumptions. But I but it, it's been an incredible lesson for me just on the role that race plays in every aspect of life. Exactly. Um, in, in ways I didn't expect. Which and 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 that that's a good segue into talking about Terrence. You know, T- Terrence. Uh, when I first bought the mall, about 50 different people said to me, oh, you got to meet Terrence. You got to meet Terrence because Terrence is a guy who grew up in the community. He understood the community. No one needed to. I didn't need to spend any time convincing him. He understood innately what the what the purchasing power and the desires and the standards of the community were. And he also happened to know a lot more about real estate than I did at the time. This was my first real estate venture. And so, uh, you know, I, I sometimes refer to Terrence as my daytime wife, but I actually think I'm more <laughs> his daytime wife. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we're, we're definitely, uh, we, we are definitely, uh, he's an important partner in the deal and has been from the beginning, everything from helping to uh, determine the aesthetic we were going for. Uh, he's the one that brought Starbucks to the table initially. So leveraging the relationships that he developed over a 20 year career mm-hmm. uh, in real estate to to bring people to the table so that we would even have the opportunity to make our pitch. Um, and so he's he's a, a very, very important part of this development. Yeah, he's a very, very sharp guy. And once again, it always helps when you have someone there who can help those who just don't know. I mean, sometimes people are just guilty of not knowing everything they need to know, not you in particular, but we're talking about people who, quote unquote, do not know the value or understand the uh, the desires of the people who live in a particular area and how it can all work out. So that it's always good to partner with someone just like that. Again, we're talking with Peter. We're talking with Peter Brodsky. He is the developer and philanthropist here in Dallas of the Redbird redesigned Redbird area. Peter, again, let's talk about the growth. I, I've been noticing because I travel it all the time, 67 and I-35, the expansion is amazing. And I've mm-hmm. seen some of the projections and the artwork. They're actually going to make somewhat of a Clyde Warren Park right there near the Dallas Zoo. And the completion, the completion dates are like in the next within the next five years or so. And I want to know if that is like a, a, a burden or a hindrance, or is that something that helps you? Because I know the highways, you guys are located a certain way. And I also think about like in Arlington when they be, built AT&T Stadium and uh, Globe Life Field, that sometimes the, the city had to give in a little bit and create some ramps and things. Can you talk about how the highways may help or hinder you and what you're trying to get done? Well, the 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 uh, southern gateway project which is the expansion of 67 and 35 is a critical critical part of of what we're doing um and and i and i do want to take a minute uh and i'll explain why in a moment but i do want to take a minute just to give a shout out to uh to councilman tanel atkins he is the council member for uh, for the Redbird, uh, the, he's the District Eight Council member, which is where Redbird is, mm-hmm. because he has gone to bat for us. I mean, countless times to uh, to ensure that we were getting the resources that we that we needed to make this successful. And one of the things that he that he has done is he has brought TxDOT to the table. Excellent. Um, and you know, one of the big flaws with the Redbird site in the past were two things. The first is that there's no Camp Wisdom Road exit northbound on 67. So it's difficult to get to the mall from the southern suburbs, uh, which is a major target audience for us. Right, Duncanville. And then, and, and then there's Hill, a great DeSoto. I-20 exit either. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as part of the Southern Gateway Project, they are adding a Camp Wisdom Road exit northbound on 67. It's going to solve two problems for us. Number one is if you're coming from uh, from Cedar Hill, it's going to be real easy to zip onto 67, zip off at 60 at, at Camp Wisdom and, and be at Redbird. The second is that if you are on 20 and you want to get off at a convenient exit, you can now get onto 67 
and immediately exit at Camp Wisdom rather than going all the way down to Cockrell Hill, which is a mile past the mall Mm -hmm. and coming back, you know, and and tracking back a mile on city streets, which is inconvenient. And so Councilman Atkins brought them to the table. We got we got uh, this this exit put into uh, into the Southern Gateway project. And that is going to greatly enhance the accessibility of this development to more people. So it's, it's, it's a critical, critical part of what we're doing. And then as for amenities such as the, the deck park outside the zoo, look, the more attractive amenities that can be put in southern Dallas, yes. the better. We yes. are all going to benefit from that. We are all going – a rising tide is going to lift all boats – and you know what? When people are done with the deck park, they're more than welcome to come down to Redbird to, uh, you know, to, 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 to see our one acre lawn, uh, to grab a cup of coffee, or we're going to have probably about 10 restaurants uh, on the site where they can come and sit and have a, have a good meal. So we welcome, we welcome any amenity that folks are going to put into this community. It is so underdeveloped. It has been so starved for capital for mm-hmm. so many decades. It'll be decades before anyone is saying, oh, my God, we don't need any more development down here. Exactly. <laughs> that, that is, that's not happening anytime soon. It's there to, to, it's there to have for, for anybody who wants to participate. Again, uh, I'm, I'm imagining the reimagining of, of Redbird. I'm, I'm thinking uh, uh, Uptown. I'm thinking Shops of Legacy. I'm thinking Bishop Arts. I'm thinking of all these different areas where people can walk about, where they can live, the apartments. Can you talk about some of the, the, the areas that you're developing there where people can actually live on the property? Yeah, so we, we've, uh, we've opened our first apartment building. Um, we didn't develop it. We sold the, sold the land to an to a, uh, apartment developer called Palladium. Uh, Terrence, uh, again, another example of, of a party that Terrence brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terrence and I did a lot of research on Palladium, and we went to go visit uh, several of their developments because we wanted to make sure that it met the quality metric. Um, the, the metric I used was, you know, if my wife ever threw me out of the house, would I live here? And hopefully <laughs> I'll never have to test out that theory. Right. Uh, but 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 it but it was a very it's a very, very high quality environment. It's a class A building. It has uh, structured parking. It's got the granite countertops. It has the beautiful public rooms, the business center, all of the things that you want in, in a beautiful pool and courtyards. Um, and, and importantly, uh, there's a significant portion of the building that is reserved uh, for uh, for people making 60% of area median income. Mm-hmm. So we're trying very hard to create a place where people can live and live, you know, in, in a in a in a class A manner, but also live in an economically inclusive community, which is what we're trying to be. So it has opened. Uh, they're, they're opening it uh, section by section. The whole thing should be opened in about six weeks. It's 100% leased already. Um, and it shows that there is a demand in in this community for high quality residential. And I believe it's the first of, of many uh, such developments. We'd like to do a townhome development. We'd like to do another apartment building. Uh, there's lots and lots and lots of land uh, at Redbird. And so I think the development can go on for a long time. Exactly. And it's some of the most beautiful property in Dallas. The topography there is outstanding for those who don't know. We're talking again with the developer of Redbird, reimagining uh, Redbird, uh, Peter Broski. Peter, I was also looking at this uh, data here about the uh, Redbird Starbucks. It says that the patrons' income, the average income of the patrons of, of Redbird Starbucks, is between $75,000 and $100,000 a year. That's just in the area. In other words, the purchasing power is there. And that's, like I said, another reason we're talking about this, because there's assumptions based on not knowing, not knowing what kind of people are actually in this area and why this is a huge economic opportunity for this part of Dallas in the southern end. Are there anything you can are there anything you can tell us right now about how things are going? I know the the pandemic has slowed down a lot of different businesses, a lot of different growth in some areas. How were you guys able to deal with that and 
has it slowed you down a little bit? Has it caused you to pivot a little bit? Have you had to redevelop and create a new normal on some of the ideas you envisioned on your property? You know, I have to tell you that the pandemic had almost no impact on our business plan. Uh, we were very, very fortunate. Of course, you know, back in, in, in spring of 2020, when it was really, really bad and we, we had to shut down for about six weeks, mm-hmm. uh, of course, that was disruptive. Uh, but, but, you know, all of the almost all of the of the store owners who are in the mall are are individual entrepreneurs. And they were the ones that wanted to open back up the most quickly because that's how they put food on the table. Sure. Uh, and so we we really uh, did did not uh, did not suffer uh, during during the pandemic economically. And in some ways, it was an advantage because 2020 and 2021 are big big construction years for us. Construction was always uh, was always allowed to continue even during the the height of the lockdown. And so we were able to make good progress. We also had had decided that a very good use of the buildings we own would be to convert them into medical facilities. And so if there's one growth in industry right now, uh, it's public health, uh, given the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I'd say the, the only thing that is really uh, that the pandemic has really caused uh, is some of the of the more end of the entertainment and restaurant concepts really put things on hold mm-hmm. while their businesses were affected, but those are coming back now. And then the other thing is that just since, since the society has opened back up, uh, I will say that the, the, the construction pricing is just crazy. I think we've all read about how the price of wood went up by 600%. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's on back order. Yeah. Think, you know, the supply chain production. Yeah. The supply, supply chain, chain is all screwed up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, but but that's you know, and so and so the cost of construction has gone up. We've had some cost overruns there, but but nothing you know, not nothing that is going to derail the train. Uh, more, I'd say, uh, you know, a, a bump in the road rather than a blockade. Exactly. Now, when I think of different developments and projects like this, I always think of uh, different phases, and sometimes phases happen quicker. Sometimes the phases continue on and on and on. I'm I'm in, in one example off the top of my head over there in, in Arlington, Texas Live, AT&T Stadium was completed in 2008 and then just last year Globe Life Field was opened up and you got the hotels and whatnot over in that area in Arlington. What are the phases looking like for you guys and tell me some of the steps of the phases where people can look forward to. And again, we know Growth is changing all the time, and uh, sometimes you want to hit certain marks, and things happen like a pandemic. Can you talk about where you think this thing is going and the phases you're looking forward to? Yeah, so I I would say that phase one uh, is going to be complete really by by mid next year, and what I mean by phase one uh, is that the the facade of the entire mall building will have been uh, completed. Uh, The infrastructure and the parking fields of the entire mall site will have been completed. Our lawn will be open uh, and we will have renovated uh, the buildings that we own around the perimeter Mm -hmm. uh, so that they're all brought, brought up to the standard that we're seeking, that we're seeking to, to create. Um, and, and that's really phase one. It's essentially, I mean, there'll still be plenty of space to lease, et cetera. But in terms of the look and feel of the development, that will be set. Phases two, three, four, and five, to be honest with you, they could go on for the next 20 years. Sure. Because the, the fundamental economics of a development changes when, when the rents have gotten to or the land values have gotten to the point that, that it is affordable to put structured parking uh, onto the site. Mm-hmm. Right now, we surface park everything um, because structured parking costs fifteen to twenty thousand dollars per parking space to build. So, if you want to build five hundred parking space, a, a garage of five hundred parking spaces, that's seven and a half million dollars that there's no revenue associated with. It's much, much, much cheaper to surface park. But but eventually we will get to the point where where that is justifiable as it is now in Uptown didn't used to be 
but now it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, at that point, all those parking fields are going to be able to be developed, and we will get an even greater density of activity and people on the site. But, you know, think about how long that took. Actually, I lived in Uptown. I lived on, on uh, Knox and, and McKinney when I moved here as a, as a 25-year-old in 1995. Hey, I was and, living over there, too. In 1995, I was living right there in Uptown off of McKinney. Sure was. Shoot, I might have seen you at, 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 at that Tom Thumb that you see. Yes, that was a spot right there off of Lemon. <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, think how long it took for that. You yeah. Know, it's now been 25 years. So 10, and look at Victory. Mm-hmm. You know, I was involved in the building of the arena when I used to work for Tom Hicks mm-hmm. at, back in the late 90s. And, and it was just the arena now it's it's all these huge buildings. Yeah, so that that I expect will happen over time. Uh, but but you got to be patient. Uh, the, the the area has to grow into it. And so I don't know what's going to come after phase one. I think what what will probably happen is that we'll take a breath after phase one, let phase one settle in, let the investment thesis prove out that, in fact, all these businesses that are opening are, in fact, successful and I think over time, then we will begin to develop a lot here, a lot there, uh, and uh, and over time, uh, over time, uh, you'll see things get more vertical. I, I would say the one thing that we're really, really that that we would uh, that we would do right now if we had the opportunity, irrespective of whether it's in phase in plan for phase one is. If we could get a grocery store, mm-hmm. we would we would do a, we would add a grocery store into phase one. Yes, that's only logical, especially for that area. I mean, there's so many families over there that just makes so much sense. Hey, Peter, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. Is there some more information where people might want to look at it online? Is there a website for Reimagine Redbird where people can find out more information and keep up with the project? Absolutely. Yeah. We've got a website. It's www.redbird-dallas.com. Fantastic. Peter, we got to get you back on the show again. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity. It was great to catch up with you. And I, uh, and anytime, uh, anytime you've got some time for, for me to, uh, to talk about Redbird, just c- call me on the line. Call me anytime. That'll work. Thank you so much, Peter Broski. He's the developer of Redbird. And joining us right now is Amy Razor from the Fort Worth Better Business Bureau. How are you doing, Amy? I'm doing great. Amy, it's always a pleasure to talk to you because there's so many things going on in the world of business, online, in person, and not just in the Fort Worth area. You've got all the information on what people need to be aware of, right? Absolutely. Okay, so (laughs) I heard the scammers are out there again this time they're trying to get after homeowners with construction stuff or pavement. Please fill us in. There's so many things going on. Yes, there are asphalt paving scams um, as well as any kind of home improvement. There's been a lot of that going on either with uh, people being home and wanting to make improvements or with repairs from the, the storms earlier this year. And, you know, it's like people are vulnerable right now because literally – Everybody's having to deal with, like you said, it was a summer of more rain than people expected. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, We had the grid situation back in February, and there's still people trying to get things right. Uh, A lot of people had swimming pools. and I mean, so what are the things that you you help people to watch out for and how they can be careful? Um, Several things. So with contractors, what you want to do is make sure uh, you have everything in writing um, and that there are detailed um, detailed information and contracts and that everybody is aware of everything in the contract and that it's signed off on uh, by both parties. Um, one of the things that we see uh, is that they will tell you they have a surplus of supplies uh, and that they'll give you a discounted rate for things they have left over from a previous oh, job. Yeah. So that is always a red flag. Watch out for that. Uh, Another thing that they will try and offer is to work with your insurance company directly. Uh, You don't want to do that either. You want to make sure that you are the one uh, communicating with your insurance. You know, so while you brought that up, all the extra inventory. I remember back in the day, back in the day, 
I was at a gas station minding my own business, and I got scammed by somebody that said, hey, we work at so-and-so, so-and-so. We got some extra speakers in the back of our truck. We just have mm. it in there in this box, and the box was full of rocks. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I mean, I was like, that's when I learned there's no such thing as a good deal. You just got to be careful about anybody that says, hey, 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 we got some extra supplies here. Uh, when people call the Better Business Bureau, are they complaining or are they warning people? Uh, they're usually warning people. Um, it, when we take complaints, they're they're typically about a specific business, and we work through that process with the business and the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we do um, have what's called Scam Tracker on our website, and that is where people can go to either report something that has happened to help warn others, or you can look in there and check and see what's been reported in your area so that you can be prepared for it to happen if it happens. So how can people find the scam tracker? It is at bbb.org slash scam tracker. Oh, that's simple enough. I know, I know people go online and check out different things and people have neighborhood apps as well. So Mm -hmm. I get, I bet you guys get a lot of people going over there just to peruse. Absolutely. And and it is a great resource. Uh, You can zoom in as as far as your neighborhood and see what's been reported, uh, you know, by your neighbors, or you can zoom out and see what things are trending across the country. Are there any scams going on with back to school? Oh, my goodness. Yes, we've got several different things going on there. Uh, The top thing um, remains online shopping. And that is uh, people who are getting scammed out of their information, um, making payments through sites that are not secure, and then their information becomes vulnerable, uh, ordering items and not receiving them. Um, back to school. <laughs> so, you know, in, at Christmas mm-hmm. time, there's always the gift, you know, the thing that everybody's trying to find and, and hunt for. Well, in, in back to school season, it's that supply that's elusive and difficult to find. Um, and so what we see sometimes with that is people will buy them up and, and, and get a, you know, a good stockpile of them and then try and sell them to people that um, are, are stressing about the fact that they, there's this thing on the list that they can't find. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so often they'll either um, overcharge, so that, that's a price gouging situation, um, or uh, they will promise the, the item and then it's never delivered. Um, so you want to make sure you're on a, a secure website, and that will have an S at the HTTPS, means it's secure, and there will also be a lock symbol. And those are important to look for when shopping online. Did I hear your bodyguard in the background? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who is your pet? Everybody loves I've pets. Got, I've got two dogs. Their names are Reese's and Dakota. That is wild. We used to have a dog named Dakota. That was our family oh, dog. Really? We had a standard poodle named Dakota. Aww, what kind of cool. do- what kind of what kind of dog is the is Dakota for your dog? Dakota is is a COVID puppy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those decisions we made, like many others, um, sure. uh, to, to get another pet during the t- this time. Um, he we do not know yet. He was a rescue, um, and so we will know when he gets his um, when he gets neutered. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will do blood work and let us know at that time. That is fantastic. Is he is he is he potty trained? Is he house trained yet? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. He's about seven months old and just absolutely sweet. You know what I found out? You mentioned he's a pandemic pet. I I, <laughs> I found out about this and it's so true. A lot of people who had pets in their household while working at home or the families at mm-hmm. home during the pandemic, especially last year, they found so much comfort with the pets. And the pets mm-hmm. were getting so much love. It's almost like it made everybody relax even more as far as dealing with all the different things going on. Have you found that way in your house as well? Absolutely. You know, it was a lot of fun to be able to um, put your energy in something else, you know, to, yeah. to, to focus on that, that new life and, and welcoming, them, welcoming them to the family. Um, but to circle back to scams, there are mm-hmm. a lot of pet scams out there as Ooh, well. Please tell us, um, please tell yes. us. And especially during this time when people have been interested in growing their fur baby family, um, what, what happens is people see or find an animal online that they, that they decide they want. 
Um, <clears throat> and oftentimes they're looking for a specific breed uh, when this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out that much of the time it is a stock photo. That's not a, an actual animal that is available. Um, you often end up paying uh, very high prices into the thousands um, to, you know, receive this pet and coordinate the the delivery or um, receiving of the pet. And then it turns out that there is no such animal. Oh, wow. Um, that happens a lot. And it's heartbreaking because mm-hmm. the family gets very excited about, you know, this, this dog or cat that they've been looking for. Uh, and it, it doesn't come to fruition. So what can people do to avoid being deceived like that? What kind of things can they do to background check these uh, businesses or operations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, try to find other people that have uh, worked with whoever you're you're looking for, you know, mm-hmm. working with to find the pet. Um, make sure that there is a meet and greet with the animal um, before you decide to to adopt them and, and make them a part of your family. A lot of times, um, I mean, that's important anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that you know that, you know, their personality is, is the fit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not going to think you're coming home with, you know, this precious little uh, sweet thing, and it turns out to be a nightmare, um, <laughs> which does happen. It does happen, um, yeah. <laughs> so you want to have that meet and greet um, <clears throat> to make it a good fit. And then you want to um, work with someone that does interview you as well. You know, when you're working with um, places that, that that have pets available, most of the time the legitimate ones are going to be interviewing you to see if you're a good fit for the pet. They're going to ask about what kind of yard you have, if they're going to be an indoor pet or an outdoor pet, and that's going to let you know that they very much care for the animals and what their future is going to be. We're talking with Amy Razor with the Fort Worth Better Business Bureau. You know, there are some people uh, who might get scammed when not just the delivery of, let's say, products you order online, but food. Have you ever run across people who say, uh, uh, there's somebody that's actually scamming, they're pretending to be delivering food? Mm. Is that yeah, new? So, or? <clears throat> yeah, that's that, that could be true with any delivery um, service. Uh, again, look at who you're you're doing business with, sure. what their customer reviews look like to make sure that, that, you know, they're legitimate and that people have enjoyed their service and not had issues. Um, again, it's it's the same kind of thing where you order something and it's never delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, also, with the, the uh, contracting supplies that we talked about, what you order and what you receive might be two very different things and the quality of of what you're receiving compared to what you thought you were going to get might be very far between. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's, it's that it, it's literally amazing what is happening with people nowadays. Maybe it's because of social media. Maybe it's because of, like I said, we're still dealing with the pandemic, but there's a lot of creative people on the wrong side of the law out there. <laughs> And uh, they would use their powers for good. Exactly. It's like they're trying to do something. It's like you're going to get busted. You're going to get caught. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you is there a story that you heard someone call into you guys or sent you an email and you said, I cannot believe this happened to this person? Yeah. So a lot of what is really to my mind, been heartbreaking are the employment scams. Oh, yeah. Um, And so people, you know, may have lost their jobs during the pandemic due to downsizing and and closures and things of that nature. Uh, And so they're looking and they're they're finding, you know, opportunities. Um, This is also true with with college students that Mm -hmm. are preparing to go to college. They want to find something that they can earn some extra money, but not... um, have a committed, you know, nine to five schedule that they can do uh, on their own time. So we had a a young lady that was going to college that was approached about uh, being a secret shopper and asked to, you know, go to these places and then write uh, a description of of what the service is like. Mm -hmm. And so she signed up to do this thinking, oh, that's something I can do on my own time when I'm available, you know, still have time to study. And what ended up happening was uh, they sent her a check uh, in the mail before they had e- before she had even done any work. 
Um, that's the first red flag for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, checks can be manipulated these days to the point where they look so absolutely legitimate that the bank can't even tell uh, that they are fake checks. Until they bounce. Right. <laughs> oh, boy. So the check, you know, was deposited, and then they uh, reached out to her and said, okay, we need you to take um, $1,000 of the money that we sent you and go and buy gift cards. And as soon as she heard the word gift cards, she knew it was a scam and reported it to us. Um, Thank goodness. But this is happening all over with people thinking that they're finding legitimate work, doing things that they can do from home, being sent money to buy supplies to do the job. And then it turns out that it was a scam and that check bounces and then they're out the money. So uh, a red flag for a lot of people just casually when you hear something about, and it involves gift cards, that Mm -hmm. could be an indicator of something's not quite right. Absolutely. Anytime you hear the word gift card, you need to pump the brakes and figure out what's going on. You know, um, you mean, then, yeah, yeah I, I was just going to say, you mentioned the, the, the fake checks. Are there scams involving stimulus checks? Because, you know, the government oh, yeah. is taking care of a lot of people with the stimulus checks. And I'm sure there's there's side, quote unquote, businesses trying to man- manipulate that situation. Absolutely. They're trying to get a hold of people's money. Um, a lot of identity theft issues. And so that's, you know, you get those. Uh, Social Security or IRS calls, and I can tell you for sure, neither one of those organizations are going to call you. Repeat that again. (laughs) Um, The IRS will not call you. They will not call you, and neither will Social Security. They are not going to call you. They are going to reach out to you via mail um, if there's anything that's going on. Um, So if you do receive something um, that seems fishy, you call them. (laughs) They will not call you. Exactly. And I I can imagine the heartbreak of people counting on a stimulus check or someone saying, hey, I can help you get your stimulus check. Those things Mm -hmm. don't happen, right? Nope, they do not. And they're going to probably ask you for your bank account and routing numbers so that they can help you get the funds deposited directly. And then you've given away the keys to your kingdom. (laughs) Yeah, you do not want to go there. Um, Have we left out any other scams that people need to be aware of, uh, especially this time of the year? It's August going into uh, September, the fall. Um, I I mentioned the schools. I mentioned stimulus checks. I mentioned uh, homeowners and and swimming pools and people hearing stuff online. and, And we even mentioned the pets. Have I left out anything else that's important? One, one new thing that we're seeing are uh, QR code scams. Really? Um, which is really interesting. I so, can't even imagine that. <laughs> so, yeah. So during the pandemic, most restaurants transitioned to a QR code. Sure. Uh, to, to get the menu rather than having, you know, things that people touch, you mm-hmm. know. Right. That they have to worry about cleaning or they did paper menus that they could throw away. Um, but the scanning of the QR code has become a really popular way of doing business. Um, and so what we're seeing is that people are creating fake ones um, to basically fish and get people's information uh, wow. and, and get you to enter, you know, personal information because, you know, you need access to this site or that. And that's, that's not going to be the case with the menu. It should pop right up in your <laughs> In your phone, and you shouldn't have to enter any personal information. So if that does happen, you know, exit out of that and and uh, don't provide any personal information. This is so wild because sometimes things you never think about, that, that could be a scam. How do you kind of talk to your teenagers or your kids who have their phones and cell phones and, and laptops about possible scamming? What, what kind of advice would you give to parents for your kids out there who might have a credit card access? Absolutely. Very good question. So that is a hot topic right now. We really want parents to be communicating with their kids. Um, My kids got phones for the very first time uh, here a few months ago. And my daughter's always like, Mommy, who is this? What do they want? You know, (laughs) and they're like, hey, you know, click this link to receive your free PS4 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm like, never click the links. Never click the links. Don't click the link. Um, you know, if you get a text from someone you don't know, delete it, you know, remove it, block the contact. Um, but there are predators yeah, out there as well, you know, that are posing as, you know, mm-hmm. other kids playing the game, but really trying to get them to disclose personal information. Where do you live? How old are you? 
Um, you know, even things like what's your phone number, what's your address. Um, thankfully, a lot of those games block the ability to share that kind of information. Um, but as a parent, you want to make sure that you have all of those settings on. <laughs> um, and if it's connected to a credit card, that your ID or your face ID, your thumbprint is required for the purchase to go through. Amy, you're a wealth of information. Once again, what's the website for people who want to look online with the Fort Worth Better Business Bureau? BBB.org. It geolocates to where you are and gives you the most uh, accurate information for where you're located. Amy Gate, thanks again for joining us. And I want to thank everyone for listening to Better Living. I'm Chris Arnold. Be sure to tune in next week as we highlight other organizations and events happening right here in DFW. So long, everybody.